They are there whether or not we recognize them, have dealt with them, or work through them. They are there whether or not we like it or want to acknowledge it. They affect us physically, our relationships, our decisions, and how we live each day. So just what are they? They are emotions that run the gamut from joy and elation, anger, gratitude, despair, and thankfulness to absolutely everything in between. They are the thoughts we have, the experiences we endure or enjoy, the successes and challenges we face, and all that has happened to us since we were born. In other words, they are part of who we are and what it means to be a human being. And God has a response to everything it is that makes us a person, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God says to each of us, bring it on. Bring it all to me. God says you may not want to be honest with others about your feelings, but bring those feelings to me. God says you may or may not want to share what you are thinking with someone else, but bring all that is on your mind to me. God says, I want all of you in relationship with me. Hold nothing back. Perhaps in part, this is why Jesus one day said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus does not want us to be disconnected from him in any way. As I mentioned last Sunday, the Psalms are a great tool that can lead us to take everything to God, have an all-in relationship with God, and to hold nothing back from God. The Psalms guide us to get in touch with what is inside of our minds and hearts and help us to work through things with God. And the Psalms propel us to pay more attention to gratitude and thankfulness by gaining clear insight into our blessings. Well, last week I know that you may remember that I began this short two-part series on the Psalms with the hope that we will increase our use of this extraordinary tool for living. And you may recall that I gave some general background of the 150 Psalms. And just to briefly review, we know that the Psalms were written by a variety of people, including King David. Some Psalms were intended to be used by individual people, others by gathered communities of faith for communal purposes. Psalms were written for purposes of prayer and praise and worship. And I mentioned that there are a variety of kinds of Psalms, including Praise psalms, lament or complaint psalms, affirmation that God is in charge psalms, imprecatory or angry judgment psalms, and psalms of thanksgiving. And while there are other kinds, psalms use a lot of poetic techniques, which some were written to be sung, sung to be read, etc., etc. What I did not mention last week, just as an aside before I get into some psalms today, is that Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book of the Old Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, the Psalms are the most quoted book of the Old Testament as a whole. So it pays off for us to become familiar with the Psalms. The final thing I just want to mention in general about the Psalms is that a variety of names are used for God in the Psalms, which is also true throughout the Old Testament. And while there are many different names, some of the most common names used for God in the Psalms are as follows. One word used for God is Jehovah. And you will know that the word Jehovah is being used for God if you see the word Lord or God in all caps in your Bibles. That is, that's, that's used for the word Jehovah. 
The name Jehovah conveys the presence of God and that God is faithful. So, for example, in Isaiah, we find trust in the Lord, trust in Jehovah, always, for Jehovah, or the Lord, is the eternal rock. Another word for God used in the Bible is Elohim. And Elohim is used, and we know it's being used, whenever we see the word God used, capital G and then lowercase O-D. Elohim captures the power of God. And in Genesis 1.1, it reads, In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. And just finally, the last name I'll touch on is Adonai. And this is used when we receive the word Lord, or capital L, and then lowercase o-r-d. And this conveys God's authority and holiness. In the book of Genesis, we find Abraham spoke, Since I have begun, let me speak further to Adonai even though I am but dust and ashes. Now, why this is important is because different names of God are used in the Psalms, and the reason that different names are used is because the writer of the Psalm is trying to encourage us to think about that particular image of God, the presence of God, or the power of God, or the authority of God, for example. While there's a lot more to say, for the rest of our time this morning, let's move from this general background and take a look at various human experiences and how a particular psalm can relate to that experience and how we can use the psalms. This week, let's turn first to what are known as anger or imprecatory psalms. Now, anger is a tough emotion, at least it is for me. And I don't know many people who enjoy being angry, and sustained anger certainly is harmful to us individually and in terms of our relationships. Sometimes, of course, anger takes time to work through, and often issues of forgiveness come up. But whatever we might say of anger, it is a human emotion and often a God-given one. That said, anger is a slippery slope. It can lead to bad things. There's this image that's created in the book of Genesis. And if you read the, read, read the Hebrew, it's, re, it's really a, a haunting image. And in Genesis, it basically says, when we're angry, sin is crouching at our door waiting to get us. It's the word that she's just crouching, waiting to jump on us. In other words, anger can lead us to do things that are not so great, evil, even harmful to ourselves, to others in our relationship with God. But with this in mind, one of the worst things that you and I can do with anger is to stuff it. When we stuff anger, anger does something to us. And instead of letting anger do something to us, we can choose to do something to anger and eventually move beyond it. Recall last week I mentioned the Psalms can help us get in touch with our feelings, can help us turn into and not away from our feelings, can help us explore our feelings, and can help us take our feelings to God in order to work through them with God. And this is certainly the case with anger. So let's turn to the worst psalm possible, Psalm 137. This psalm is often referred to by people uh, who do not understand scripture uh, or who do not want a relationship with God, and they hear this psalm and they say, oh, the Bible's just terrible. How can you read that? And sadly, that represents a deep, profound misunderstanding of Psalm 137. Psalm 137 was written by a person during a time of torment, despair, heartache, and loss. It is difficult for you and I to imagine 
an invading army coming, running up the Roaring Fork Valley and decimating everything that you and I know. But that is what the psalm is reflecting. Most people that are reflecting this psalm had lost everything, along with having experienced the death of all, if not most, of their loved ones. Things were terrible, and there was little hope. Now, what had happened is the people were living at the time in exile in Babylon. They had lost everything. And in response, the writer of the psalm is angry, feels a desire for revenge, and wants justice. Now, the writer states in the last line, Yes, a reward to the one who grabs your babies and smashes their heads on the rocks. Awful words? Absolutely. But they are the words of a deeply hurting person. It does not mean that what the writer is saying is okay, but what it means is that the writer is profoundly wounded. The person is lashing out at his captors, the Babylonians. These are not the words of God, nor are they God telling humankind to do something. You may remember last week I suggested that many of the Psalms are like a person's personal journal in which a person is being brutally honest about thoughts and feelings. That when we read a Psalm, as is the case with Psalm 137, we in fact are reading another person's journal and expression to God about what this person is feeling. So these awful, violent words come from a person, not from God. They describe what a person is feeling. They do not prescribe what God wants us to do. And there's a big difference between words describing what a person is feeling and prescribing what God would have us do. These words in Psalm 137 are not prescriptions from God. To be honest, at least for me, if you've ever really been hurt by another person, if you've been mistreated by a person or group of people who were cruel, harsh, uncaring, unrepentant, vicious, mean, and without any moral center, can we not relate to the anger expressed in this psalm, honestly? And when we're in such a place, is not expressing our anger through the words of the psalm perhaps the best thing we can possibly do rather than taking the anger out in another way? Psalms like 137 and others like it help us get in touch with our anger when we are angry. They help us express the anger in a safe way if we're willing to do so. They can help us release the anger and they can help us move through the anger because we are taking those words directly to the great healer, God himself. I like what the writer of Psalm 135 writes about people who have heard him. In one version of the Psalms, the writer says, pin them with a donkey's tail. I love that line. (laughs) Have you ever wanted to pin somebody with a donkey's tail? I have. Part of being a person of faith is being honest with ourselves that we experience every human emotion. And part of what it means to be a person of faith is to be honest with our emotions, all of them, and to be willing to take them directly to God to work through them. And the Psalms can help us. The purpose of Psalms like 137 is not to stay angry or have terrible images or dwell on anger. 
or raise up anger is something wonderful. The Psalms and that Psalm and Psalms like it is to, are there to help us be real with God and to express what we're feeling to God. Well, let's look at some other examples. I've experienced it more than once. Many people I know have endured it, and there are many stories from those who have gone through such passages. And what I'm talking about are the times in which it feels as if God is nowhere to be found. Have you ever felt that way in life? Where's God? There's no God. C.S. Lewis, the great writer, wrote the following about his experience when his wife died. He writes, meanwhile, where is God? You go to him, and when you're desperate, when all the other help is in vain, what do you find? When you go to God, you find a door slammed in your face and a sound of a bolting and a double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. That's C.S. Lewis's journal of his experience in grief. Listen to what King David wrote about his experience in feeling God's absence in Psalm 13. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? What magnificent words to say out loud to God with all of your heart and all of your mind when you feel that God is absent. How long, God? That's what God wants us to do is to take those experiences to God. David also wrote these words in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. I find no rest. These words are raw and real and powerful and poignant. They capture what it is and what it feels like to feel God's absence. And God says, bring these feelings to me. Use the words of the Psalms to bring these experiences to me. Let's look at some other examples of Psalms. Think for a moment about the fantastic things in life, amazing friends, stunning places, loving relationships. Think for a moment about all that brings you joy in life. And more specifically, think about how you feel when you overcome something and you know that God has been part of that journey. Here's what King David writes in Psalm 30. I give you all the credit, God. You got me out of that mess. God, my God, I yell for help and you put me together. You gave me another chance. I can't thank you enough, God. And in this psalm and others like it is a powerful expression of gratitude and thanks. It's a thank you, God psalm. And they're all over the psalms, psalms like this. Then similarly, there are words from Psalm 100. Shout with joy to the Lord with all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. Most, if not all of us, have had experiences like this, and God calls us to take these events and feelings and thoughts that go along with them to God. God wants us connected to God, not just when we're down, but when we're up and we're experiencing goodness and joy and things that are wonderful. And we can use the Psalms when good things are happening to express our thanks and our gratitude and our joy to God. Turning now to a different experience. Have you ever done something you regret? Said something you wish you could take back? Or not done or said something you believe you should have or shouldn't have because it would have made a difference? Have you ever just missed the mark? 
from a variety of perspectives, whether physical, psychological, or simply our walk with Jesus, being honest about how we have fallen short and coming clean and taking accountability for our own actions and our own misdeeds and mistakes is the only way to go. And here's what King David one day wrote when he was experiencing terrible regret. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me clean of my guilt. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is in front of me. Create a clean heart for me, God. David was very clear what he did, and he confessed to God. He acknowledged that God wants us to be totally honest. He asked for God's forgiveness, and he asked God to help him move on. And there are other psalms like that psalm that help us work through regret. Finally today, I'd like to wrap up by focusing on a psalm that focuses on praising God. Now to praise means to applaud, to commend, to honor, to express thanks, means approval, adoration, etc. And when we praise God, our thinking is shaped and we are changed from the inside out. And spending time praising God is a great way to give us a broad perspective about life. Praise is good for the soul. Now in the Hebrew language, there's not just one word for praise, but a variety of words. And the Hebrew word for praise, when you read the word praise in scripture, connotes holding our hands out, jumping for joy, shouting with approval, saying hallelujah. Picture for a moment a concert, a, a football game, a baseball game, a basketball game. Picture the fans going absolutely berserk, clapping, jumping up and down with joy, yelling out. I've always been perplexed why we accept enthusiasm in sports fans. But we all get nervous and flipped out if we see enthusiasm expressed in a place of worship. What's wrong with us? God wants us to be enthusiastic in our praise of God. Now, let's look at Psalm 150 together, which is in your bulletin. It's under today's scripture readings. And I'd like us to, to say this psalm together. Now, how I do not want it to sound is like this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Let's leave Eeyore aside. <laughs> like to have some enthusiasm here. God is listening to us, and God wants us to praise God. So can we do this together with some enthusiasm? Ready? Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and pipe. Praise him with clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Doesn't that feel good? And it's exactly what God wants us to do, is to praise God with enthusiasm, and the Psalms can help us do that. So I just want to close with this. You may remember last week that I, I talked about slogans 
I was talking about advertising slogans and that they're all over the place, finger looking good, just do it. I talked about Tom Bodette for, for a few moments last week. We'll leave the light on for you. And you remember, may remember that I was inviting us to fill our minds not with commercial slogans, but with God slogans. And that you and I, we can take the words of the Psalms. You can look at different versions of the Bible. You can look at the Psalms. You can pull words out and create your own God slogans to help you. And I really encourage you all to do this, to go through the Psalms and write down little slogans, phrases that you could take with you for various experiences in life. And just for the heck of it, I put down some slogans from the Psalms that I, that I have uh, in the bulletin. Uh, come up with your own from any version of the Bible. Uh, but make sure that they are words that mean something to you, uh, that you can relate to, uh, and that speak to you. We're all human. We experience every emotion under the sun, honestly. We all think thoughts we're not necessarily proud and happy about. And God says, bring it on. Bring it on. Bring it to me. Work through it with me. Whatever it is, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're feeling, that's what I want from you. Passion, emotion, honesty, real, raw. Amen.